0: Right, is my uh, sound okay, because I've moved the mic a bit away? Cool. Right, um, should we clap? Okay, so I'll count to three. And um, on four. And then on four, yeah. Okay, you ready? Mm-hmm. One, two, three. Lovely. Should we do that again? She just started talking straight away after you said, Dwayne. <laughs> <laughs> I did that <laughs> last time as well, didn't I? Yeah. let right. do again. <laughs> One, two, three. <laughs> okay. Welcome to Mammon Podcast. Mike and Mike on Mike where two Mike's talk about their top fives. We've already looked at things like games, films, TV shows and board games, and today we're talking about documentaries. So, Mike, are you a big documentary fan?
1: I enjoy them. I think I've discussed with you previously that I enjoy them, but I don't tend to watch them more than once, but it's the experience and the knowledge that you gain from them. It's very different experience from TV and films, isn't it?
0: Yeah. I've always said, like, when I uh, watch any film uh, or TV show or documentary or anything like that, I always give it like a rating out of 10, a bit like IMDb in my head. Yeah. Um, and when it's a film, for instance, I always say that it it gets it starts with an extra one point if it's based on a true story. Oh, okay. Um, so, you know, obviously all documentaries are true stories. Um,
1: so there's no zero star rated documentaries in your eyes then?
0: Exactly. I just think you know have I mean, to it gives it a bit of a boost, doesn't it, being yeah. something that's like you say, you're learning something yeah. and the stakes are higher than in a fictional story because whatever's going to happen or happen to these people uh, are you know true. It's real, isn't it?
1: Yeah, no, exactly.
0: Definitely something I feel like I started enjoying documentaries more the older I've got. I started appreciating them.
1: Yeah, I remember when I was younger, I used to have quite a lot of sort of natural history um, type documentaries, uh, wildlife ones, you know, the ones that you'd get on BBC Two first thing in the morning yeah, on Sundays yeah. and stuff. Um, my dad brought me and my brother loads on video, and I don't think I appreciated them back then. But yeah, I agree. But as you get older, like you do definitely get a more, more of an appreciation and an understanding
0: of them. I also think, though, like... I think where, like, film and TV shows and games, I don't know that they they seem to adapt, you know what to I mean, to the, to the future and to its new audience quicker. Um, even just the models that's delivered, like Netflix, the idea of binge-watching became you know, more popular, so that's how a lot of shows sort of dropped them all at once. Yeah. Um, I feel like documentaries were quite slow to do that. I think they had this kind of rigid, old-fashioned format that they went through, um, and there was no, I don't know, creativity to how it was delivered, so it made it a little bit boring automatically, whereas the documentaries I've picked, or follow more of the the narrative, like in chronological order almost. Like maybe they'll give a few hints at the start to get you interested and build you back up almost, but um, there's more almost storytelling involved. Yeah, I've got um, that in mind. Which I think's made it more interesting. Yeah, I agree. Um, I don't think, interestingly, because they've become very popular, well, here's a spoiler, I've got no true crime documentaries in here.
1: No, I almost picked one. But decided against it. Yeah, I was quite surprised that I didn't include any true true crime documentaries because they're definitely the ones I've watched more recently as well.
0: Yeah, I think they've, they've become super popular, haven't they, in like recent years. Yeah, definitely. Um, I feel like partly as well, maybe. Maybe I haven't picked them because they have become like a bit samey, like almost, <laughs> and you start mixing your serial killers up. And, yeah. Because <laughs> you watch so I- many I'll of agree, them. I'll agree,
1: yeah. I'm trying to remember which ones did which, it does get confusing when there are so many that bizarre stories, aren't they, some of them? Like, really surreal. Yeah. But because they just get, like, it's almost a series of unfortunate events, some of them, because that's what makes interesting drama at the end of the day. Um yeah. But because they're all so bizarre, some of the events that happen, it's like, oh, which one did that actually happen with?
0: I'd like to, I think I'd like to watch a documentary where it's just like an, a story of like a normal person's life. It's got like no real like major crazy thing happening. <laughs> but for someone just to do a really good storytelling of that. I don't know why. i always thought that might be interesting.
1: I think you might be alone on that.
0: I think I am completely <laughs> alone on that. <laughs> but I think that's the point is some of these ones that I've picked, it really is more. It, it's not necessarily the topic. It's the way that it's been told. Yeah. That, that to me, made it interesting. Um, and this time, we've tried to, as well, include where you can watch these. So, if you are interested in any of them, we've tried to include um, places where you can find it. Yeah.
1: Um, I'm just going to say, from the top of the episode, because it's easy for me, all of mine are found on Netflix. Nice. Every single Mine's one. Mine's with a mixture. Yeah. I, I, well, I didn't plan it so it was all going to be on Netflix. It just happened to be like that.
0: <laughs> um, right. So... Who starts off again? Who went first
1: last time? Right, so the host doesn't start. So it's no, me. No, there we go. It's me.
0: Right, so coming in at number five. What have you gone for, Mike? I've got
1: one that I'm going to say from the off. Can't remember a huge amount about. But I can tell you that you will know a lot about it. And I, w- well, in terms of sort of, you got memories of it. You'd, you'd know about the show. And it's Walking with the Dinosaurs, or Walking with Dinosaurs, shall I say? Yep. Yeah. Uh, So, it was back in 1999, which is why I probably don't remember a huge amount about it, and I haven't watched it since, but it's the first proper documentary I really remember watching all the way through, all six episodes of it. And it was back, like, I was, what, 10 years old, so probably enjoyed dinosaurs and learning about dinosaurs and everything. Um, Didn't realise it was uh, narrated by Kenneth Branagh as well, who's a fantastic, um, well, actor. Shakespearean. Shakespearean actor, actor, isn't he? And also in Harry Potter. Um, Yep. But it's just one of those great shows where you actually got to learn about the dinosaurs and the way it was portrayed with the mix of animatronics and um, CGI. I have watched some clips in preparation for this. The CGI does not hold up in the (laughs) slightest. It is absolutely atrocious. Uh, I'm about to say, I
0: don't. I never watched it live at the time. I don't think, but it seemed to remember it'd be one of those things that every now and then got thrown into like I don't know a geography lesson or a history lesson or something at school. Quite, yeah, I was going to say, yeah, because um, it, it did
1: teach about the geography of the planet and stuff like that. Yeah, um,
0: so,
1: and before So,
0: that's all I have. And even then. Probably only what four or five years after it was released, and even then, I still remember going, Oh, this isn't held up, even.
1: I think the animatronics. I remember going to like a museum or something and seeing them or seeing some of the animatronics that they use, and it really was quite spectacular. Like, just seeing this dinosaur moving with real realism, to be honest with you. It was a great show.
0: And dinosaurs are just cool as fuck,
1: yeah, exactly. Dinosaurs are cool as fuck. That classic classic quote. I um, just read as well that um, at the time it was a series that was the most expensive documentary series per episode ever produced which doesn't Ooh. surprise me because when you think about it the whole of the episode is CGI or animatronics it's not just sending someone on location because they so. went to locate on location filmed like um, real
0: dinosaurs yeah
1: real dinosaurs <laughs> they, they they spent Billions upon billions about going back in time, and no, (laughs) they went to locations um, like Chile and stuff like that to actually record the um, landscape and stuff, so that they could then artificially put in these dinosaurs in there. So, yeah, I can understand why it was really expensive. Was it BBC? It was BBC, yeah. Nice. It was a great show, but like I say, can't remember a huge amount about it, but definitely one of the top. Documentaries. I remember watching. It's like it's like the one that got me into watching documentaries. The first. I think. Vivid I think that's probably
0: why they chose that topic and spent that much money. Because I think you're right. I remember that being something that that people spoke about at school. You know, even like say, what year did it come out? Nineteen ninety no. nine. Yeah, so I was in primary school still then, but I, I remember that being something people spoke about, like at a young age as well, yeah. so it wasn't, you know, I think probably at that time, it was seen as an adult thing, wasn't it, and that was trying to bring in a young audience with it as well. Definitely. So well, it still seems to be... it worked.
1: Yeah, well, they, um, I didn't realise this, but in 2013, they released a feature-length film on Walking with Dinosaurs. I um, don't know what it was about, but it's obviously a, a series that's still got enough scope that it's still going, and people still do talk about it there yeah. was even a live show that toured in 2018 about it so yeah the franchise seems to have held up
0: definitely i'm a su- yeah definitely well it, i wonder if it's sort of because of the success of Jurassic Park if that was part of the reason it was made
1: so reading beforehand i remember reading that it was in 1996 that the director um or the person who came up with the idea Jasper James thought of it and he said it was fueled by sort of 1993 with the release of Jurassic Park sort of, people were really excited about dinosaurs again so it took six years because of the nature well in terms of the pure scale of what they had to create but it was what sort of he prepared, what what was the inspiration for it.
0: Nice. I wonder if there's anyone like any American audience. I wonder if that was something that, that was over in America as well. Like, yeah. They import a lot like, of documentaries stuff. I wonder if it was as big over there as it was over here. Yeah,
1: it was on the Disney Channel, and it was directed by Avery Brooks instead of um uh, Kenneth or... Brown. Oh, sorry, uh, narrated. Oh yeah. He was um. Bahou. Avery Brooks. He played Cisco, he was... Captain Cisco, on Star Trek. No, no. I was going to say you're not a big Star Trek fan, so.
0: No. Nice yeah. solid choice, though. Thanks. Um. My number five is a more recent one, although annoyingly, I like that you kind of started your number five with like the one that sort of got you into documentary, yeah, or made documentary seem appealing. I like that. Um, mine's a more recent one. I, I don't know if this is just me who knew nothing about it, but I, I just saw the premise, thought that sounded good, clicked on it, and then as I was watching, I was like. A, how do I know nothing about this? And B, I can't... This is so stupid, it must be real. Because there's no way you could make up these facts, because it's ridiculous. But this is a six-episode docuseries. Uh Mm-hmm that I watched on Sky Documentaries about six months ago, so I'm assuming it's still on there, uh, and that's McMillions. Have you heard of this?
1: I've heard of it, but don't know much about it. I know it was like the big binge that everyone was watching.
0: Yeah, I won't give away too much on it. Um, I'll try and give you a bit of an idea of the premise so that potentially it might make someone go watch it, because like I say, it is really, really interesting. Um but the the McDonald's Monopoly game, yeah, um, where you know they have a few weeks or months, whatever of the year, where you can collect Monopoly pieces. The and best huge...
1: the best week of the year.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you cut the whole board, you can it's, win. It's like, oh X no, I've got to go money. to
1: McDonald's because I've got to collect <laughs> my Macdo- Monopoly thing, even though you never win anything. <laughs>
0: Well, but I think the genius of it as well, though, is you'll get a meal and you'll win like a free cheeseburger.
1: Yes. That's so then what you you'll do go
0: win. back when you probably wouldn't have done, you know, later that week or whatever to get that free cheeseburger. But you'll obviously get other food with it. Yeah. You won't just take the free thing, or you'll keep collecting. So eventually, you've got a free drink, free chips, and a free meal. Like, ha! I've got a free meal, but you've had like ten to get to that point.
1: Let's be honest, the cheeseburger probably costs them like ten p, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, exactly. Like I said, it's a clever marketing. It's like the Coke with the name. I thought... I, didn't, I wasn't personally a big fan of it, but it was genius because people were buying Coke more than normal oh, because yeah, they wanted I their name that. on or their friends' names on and stuff like that. Like, it's just yeah. it's brilliant. But yeah, this um, is about the uh, McDonald's Monopoly game. And between 1989 and 2001, um, a group of people, both connected and not connected, um, sort of all are connected, but you have to watch the documentary. Not everyone's aware. Um committed fraud and took 24 million dollars worth of money from the game um, wow. through various sort of scams and things like that and it's um, it, the I think what's great about this is sometimes documentaries can be a bit heavy um, and you know as good as they are you can come out and you decide jeez like, I'm just like <laughs> I hate the, I hate the world and, and the people in it um whereas this one although it's about crime, there's so many characters in there from from when it happened who they interview who are, who are quite funny. Like, one of the FBI um, officers who they interview about it is just ridiculous. Like, <laughs> I think it, it almost like a stereotypical dumb American. Like, you almost think he's an actor because, you know, like, how is this guy an FBI agent? Like, how really? is he allowed to have this much power and influence? And some of the stuff that he, he sort of did as part of the investigation, it's just like... You're so lucky that worked because it sounds like such a stupid idea, but if it's stupid and it works, I guess it's not stupid, is it?
1: So did they catch the people then? I'm guessing so.
0: Well, I'm not going to tell you.
1: All right, tell me this. Yes. Anyone wants, doesn't want to hear any spoilers, then stop listening for a couple of minutes. But, so you said there's a series of scams that they do. Yeah. Can you give me an example of one of the scams that just seemed a bit foolish or ridiculous and somehow it paid off or
0: i guess yeah i guess because this is sort of brought early on so it's not too much of a spoiler per se but essentially what happened is um they only print so many of the, the, the what the word is the main way the money went is they in america did instant wins so you could peel one off that just said you've won two hundred fifty thousand dollars hundred thousand dollars and they only printed i don't know let's say eight every run in america that you could win maybe five right and mm-hmm. uh, for the top prize, they even want. So, what they do is they'd print them all together, then take them to this factory, randomly put them on, that randomly print out. So, no one knows where they're going, essentially. That's, that's how they try to make it secure. But somehow, it seems that someone has, has got hold of them and is sort of handing them out. And then we find out, like, the mob's involved. Uh, oh wow! And, and yeah, there's like I say, it, it it becomes this crazy. It almost feels a bit like a Scorsese film, like a Goodfellas or something, but like a stupid version. <laughs> um, and yeah, so I guess that's the big mystery: finding out how 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 is someone getting it? Because they show you sort of all the sort of security connections, and it doesn't seem like any way that someone can get from the printing process because there's so much going on. Yeah. Um, and then it's like, well, how's the mob involved? Um, yeah, so like I said, then these people that don't seem connected It's trying to like you know you see you kind of at times are following the officers and seeing how these these sort of uh, people connect and how the dots you know are connected to each other um, hmm. so like i say it's it's although it sounds quite dark it's or serious, it is still quite light hearted in a lot of ways, um I think because of how many sort of weird characters there are that they interview yeah. who are involved in it on both sides both on the the, the well you've got to be a bit
1: eccentric to sort of try and do that sort of thing anyway, haven't you?
0: Yeah, um definitely. And and as well just how like how much looks involved with stuff like this almost. You have to mean like just being somewhere at the right time means you get involved in it.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely.
0: Um but yeah like I say it's really nice and it's uh I think it was done by HBO in America and American and sold to Sky Documentaries to view in the um UK. So it's like really professionally done. Uh it got uh, Emmy nominations and things like that. And like I say I think it's a, a fun watch. In a way, then, like I say, if you don't know anything about it, like I did, I think it's even better because I was googling half of it going, No, surely not.
1: <laughs> yeah, googling to see how real that was, or Yeah, exactly. Whether it's just uh, sort of fun storytelling to sort of change the it's
0: narrative.
1: For first slightly. 30 minutes,
0: I was like, mm, Is this a mockumentary? <laughs> <laughs> and like I say, well, if you watch it and you see that FBI agent, you'll know what I mean. It just seems like a, almost like an actor rather than a real human being. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Oh, this sounds like one that actually intrigues me. I have heard it. I have heard of it. Should I say? Didn't know what it was about in the slightest. But now, I'm, now I'm definitely intrigued about it. Nice
0: one.
1: Yeah. It it always makes me laugh whenever. So just on the subject of McDonald's monopoly, whenever you that time of year comes out, you know, obviously uh, the top prize will be um getting Mayfair, Mayfair and Park Lane together. Yeah. yeah. Um, and they. Uh, print hundreds upon hundreds and hundreds of Park Lane, but only, like, two Mayfair.
0: Yeah, so you feel like you're close.
1: And the people genuinely on Facebook and stuff, like, I've got a Park Lane. If anyone has a Mayfair, maybe we can go half and half on the prize. <laughs> like, it's like, are you... Like, I genuinely don't know whether half the time these people are saying it jokingly, but I think some of them are definitely serious, thinking that there are 80,000 Mayfairs out there as well, and they're going to just find two people who come together to get it I and mean, it's yeah i can't believe this
0: is true but that point I, I seem to remember a country in europe maybe banning it or trying to ban it because it uh, is technically gambling because of that very reason that people are sort of like i'm gonna go out and buy loads of you know mcdonald's not genuinely not to eat it just to try and win this money oh
1: it's definitely gambling that's why um stuff like uh ea's microtransactions been sort of pulled up recently in a lot of countries yeah. because people bad, say it? that that's gambling because sometimes there's a bit of chance whether you'll actually get anything good and you've got to pay more money mm. like on, is it FIFA with the um, ultimate team yeah the ultimate yeah. teams in which you don't know what packs you're going to get yeah
0: so yeah nice one right moving on to number four yeah so my number four
1: I lied I realized when I said that all of mine are on Netflix
0: right let's end this now I'm not I'm no. not going to work with a liar
1: I, it, I, it's understandable. If you want to cut it short now, it. <laughs> We're we, we our separate ways, yeah. <laughs> six, six, this is the seventh episode, isn't it? So, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. What is it
0: on, first of all? Let's start there. It's
1: on, it is on Disney Plus. Oh, nice. So, it is a, a streaming service that quite a lot of people have these days, worth keeping through February, because I think they're adding a hell of a lot more content. Um, but anyway, the show is relatively it's not sort of it wasn't like it was produced for disney plus as far as i'm aware Mm -hmm. and it's called prop culture it's a series in which a guy really really loves collecting props but not just collecting them for his own personal he feels they should go into collections and stuff like that so he wants to try and rehome them and take them back to the people who sort of made them or were involved in the production or like in a museum and that sort of stuff so the films that i looked at are Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl, Mary Poppins, The Muppet Movie, Tron, The Nightmare Before Christmas, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, The Witch, and The Wardrobe, and Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Nice. Um, so what he does is he goes through, and there's about three or four props that he sort of finds or looks at uh, during each episode. But he also like brings back old characters, like he brought back the actress who played Jane in Mary Poppins, and reunited her with the dress that she wore from Mary Poppins and stuff like that, or all the Narnia characters, he brought them back and showed them all their swords and their armour. And it's just actually it was just a really heartwarming documentary, but also quite interesting seeing how they made a lot of the props. Like the Who Framed Roger Rabbit one, they showed you how they made there's a scene in which Roger Rabbit, obviously a cartoon character in a live action world, jumps through a window pane, but the blinds and the windows smash as he jumps through through it to create the shape of Roger Rabbit. But that was all done practically so even though they they see they um animated a rabbit on top of the whole frame the whole smashing of the window and uh blinds was actually done practically and it's quite interesting knowing how they did all this stuff
0: i think it's worth it's like you say taking that idea of I think, again, I think that's one of the things that as you get older is more interesting. Right? I know you're saying as me, you're a massive fan of the trivia button on IMDb if you film TV shows. 100%, yeah. And this is like this book, I don't know, on cocaine, isn't it? Like it's loads and loads of behind the scenes and secrets and things like that. And then it then makes you want to go watch it. You watch it with a different appreciation almost.
1: Oh yeah, uh, we after we watched this, um, we went back and watched He Framed Roger Rabbit almost straight after we'd actually watched the episode. And it was because i knew watching who framed roger rabbit that it was a lot of practical effects that they used but it was interesting seeing the props that they used and then watching the film and seeing how they utilized those effects to actually make it work and it, yeah it was interesting i really enjoyed it and it's not one that many people have heard of it's quite new it only premiered last year so it is still a relatively new documentary
0: no that's one that you've mentioned before and i want to um i want to watch i've never got around to for one reason or another
1: yeah, no, it's really good. I don't know whether they're planning the season two, so there's only one season out at the moment, but definitely
0: recommend it. Well, it reminds me of another documentary you recommended, uh, which I won't say in case you picked it, that I've never watched as well, but for a, for a similar reason. <laughs> I have picked it. <laughs> okay, I thought so. I mean, <laughs> I su-
1: I've suddenly clicked what you're on about, yes.
0: But my, uh, importantly, I can't really remember that much, but my uh, my brother-in-law, um, I'm sure he loves that as well, so I've, I've heard about it in bits and bobs before.
1: Yeah, no, it's a good, it's a good one. That not many people. It's a de- definitely a unique type type of documentary, but I quite liked it because I am a fan of the trivia pages, like you say. So I like behind the scenes of any types of movies.
0: Um, my number four is also on Disney Plus. So I was a bit nervous when you said that, um, <laughs> but as this is your only Disney Plus, it means you've not watched it. Uh, oh, sorry, you've not picked it, which is good because I know you have yes. watched it because I recommended it to you and Lauren. Yeah. Um. So before I tell you my number four, which is on Disney Plus. I want to start by telling everyone, I fucking hate roller coasters. Like, all of them. Do you, actually? Oh, like, genuinely. What's the reason? Like, I don't particularly like going upside down. I've done them. Uh, but I don't get the enjoyment. I get, you know, just that chemical reaction of your body going, Oh my God, I'm going to die! And then, I'm <laughs> like, I, I didn't enjoy that. And I don't enjoy the, the, the buzz afterwards, per se. Uh, but more than that, it's... It's like you can go to Alton Towers and you can queue up for three hours for some ride. So I've heard people who've gone to Alton Towers and want to go to the big popular one. And they've gone on three rides because it was such a busy day. And I'm like, yeah. that's a shit day. Like, yeah, it's... And it's not cheap either. Um, that's the,
1: unfortunately the downside of you being a teacher. You can only go when it's busy.
0: Yeah, but I know. But even when in the 10 I picked business as my uh, double option choice. Yeah. Um, and uh, I literally picked it because you got to go to Manor. And it was dead i don't I don't think they shut the park down for us, but because it was a school day, there was literally our school, and some just some ran- a couple maybe twenty random people so you you could just literally get on a ride, come off, and go back on the ride again. There was just no one there, so I have had that experience of being at a park where you can just go on rides, and even then, I didn't particularly enjoy the day yeah, um I also hate muggy weather, absolutely hate it. you know that sort of sweaty heat. Yeah. And with all that in mind, my number four, which could have been higher as well, I really struggled yeah, with it. Yeah, I'll be honest, because I know exactly the one that you're going to pick. I thought it was going to be higher. Uh, it's the Imagineering Story, which for those who don't know, is a documentary on Disney Plus about the Disney park. Um, and like I said, I have absolutely no interest, even after watching it, and it being one of the best things I've ever seen, documentary or film, I still have no interest really. Well, maybe a little bit, but maybe I have to more like why, but I still have no interest in going on rides. Um but the Imagineering story is the story of how Walt Disney uh, wanted to essentially he was, he was at a park one day uh, with his kids and they're playing on their, their sort of you know their, I can't remember what the word is play playground play area and like it, a he, fun fair wasn't it? yeah and he was sort of like well, what is there for adults um,
1: coincidentally wasn't it the same fun fair that inspired Mary Poppins It might have been as well yeah yeah because I remember that being mentioned on Prop Culture so they tie in
0: there you go and then. <laughs> um, <laughs> And then essentially, that's why he went on to, to make it and use his sort of Disney properties that he'd made to to include them in there. And again, what's great about this is each episode takes a sort of decade and, and goes in order all the way up to the modern era. It, it sort happens. of even talks about the future, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It looks at what, you know, the potential you want to do. It looks at the the people who were in charge so even after Walt Disney, the people who took over running the park, um, How important it is. I didn't realise how much money it made to Disney and how important it was to sort of the Disney brand. You know how big they are even today, nowadays.
1: Oh, yeah, they're probably losing so much by it not being open currently. Oh,
0: yeah, it's ridiculous. But, um.
1: Not that they need to worry about that at the moment.
0: But it's. I guess what's interesting is you see it from all the different angles. So you've got it from like, um,. There's quite a few famous people, famous directors and writers who, who sort of worked as, you know, like, I don't know, cleaners or working behind, you know, stalls of certain areas of it and things like that or operating certain rides and look at what it was like for them just as, as a worker at the time, working somewhere like a Disney park or... It's looking at some of the engineers who created these rides. Uh, and the idea is this really cheesy idea. They don't call them engineers. They call them imagineers because you've got to be an engineer who, who uses these creative, um, creative ideas. But it, but it is true when you watch it that the technology they do is cutting edge. So a lot of what they're doing doesn't exist. And they have to create it. They have this idea for a ride. But, but there's no technology out there to do it. There's no one who's done it, so they've got to make it up. Um, it also looks at how they brought it to Paris, and um, was it Japan? I think they did as
1: well. Yeah, they did Tokyo, and I think there was one in China that was quite a big one because they had redone the haunted mansion, hadn't they?
0: Yeah, was that was that the most recent new part that was built? It was one of the more recent yeah. ones. Yeah. Um, and like I said, just seeing it go from the pa- in fact, do you know what? Just I'm going to rewatch that today. I think, because I absolutely... Well, all of it? Yeah, a genuine... Well, start to rewatch it again because it is one of the best things I've ever seen. Like I say, just going from the decade and I, I still don't have a, a massive interest, but in, like I say, going to a, to a park, but the documentary, hearing as many people talk about it, I, I think just, you know, I think Walt Disney has a lot of faults, like a lot of, I guess, famous public figures from the past when you look back at them. Um, but with Disneyland, it was clear this idea of him wanting to do good wanting to like make people happy and inspire people and he did want to give this idea of a better future and what a better future could look like um, yeah. you know and I think I think as well a lot of people who do things like this it's cash cow not it it's trying to you know to cash in on a, on a popular film series right quick we'll make a quick you know add to our park or whatever or make some you know lunchbox on it and it's purely about money whereas for him. He was trying to take these popular brands that he knew people loved, these film characters and film series, and let you feel like you're part of that world. And I think that really came across, like that these people really do sort of care and and they did want to give people an experience. And like I say, if someone who had absolutely no interest in Park, it did make me want to go just to even walk around them, not to even go on the ride that they talk about, but more just to walk around. Like when they showed like the uh, Avatars world, I was like, that's amazing. Oh, the that yeah. technology and how... Beautiful, it looks. It's just incredible.
1: Yeah, because they go into how they, because they didn't want to have it look as though the different was it. It's like islands, isn't it? in Yeah. Avatar. In the world, are sort of they're hang, they're sort of floating these islands in the actual film. The Hallelujah so Mountains is that
0: what they called. It? Is that what they're called? I feel like they Yeah.
1: But they didn't want to obviously make it look as though they were suspended there by like a piece of string or something. So they tied them together with like vines and yeah. It actually, it looks fantastic how they've actually made, managed to create this illusion of these islands floating in midair around you
0: but again as cheesy as the term imagineering is it is interesting because you you essentially have engineers and artists or creatives put together and that's what makes it so amazing because you've got this artist who's got this vision and then you've got an engineer who's like yeah all right then i'll build it and then then the Mm. artist comes back to it and like you say tries to make it look like it's real. You know, You deep down, obviously, you know it's not, but the way that the artists do that is amazing. Like Even, like, when they built the lands for cars, they had, like, experts who were making these, like... I don't know, obviously not paper mache but whatever the mountains are made of you know plastic or whatever the, the way they had to create it to make it look like they would experts uh, from who you know uh, geologists maybe who who you know worked with sort of mountains and know what they exactly they look like and why they look a certain way so i make things look perfect And i think that well, that idea of, of them striving to make you sort of forget everything else, and just be immersed in, in that land, is, is awesome, and um, like I say, it, it always feels emotional when you watch it, because you're seeing these people who clearly have put their heart and soul into it, and when you see it pay off, and the, the things that go wrong and the things that go right throughout the history of it, it's like I say, it's all in chronological order, it builds up from when it first started to now, across the I don't know, episodes of 10 maybe, um, yeah, it's amazing, it's one of, the, one of the best things I've ever seen, like I say, film or documentary, and I really really recommend it, for people
1: Yeah, like we Yeah, we uh... We're we like waiting for the next one to come mm-hmm. out, weren't we? Each time because we're and, getting impatient with it. All. And we
0: both watched it during uh, the first lockdown. And I think it's a ha- again, it's a feel good documentary, isn't it? Sort of what you needed when all the news was negative and yeah. and everything was depressing. It was nice to have some feel good TV.
1: No, definitely, not. one that I didn't think I'd enjoy, but really did. Oh,
0: nice. Right, moving yeah. on to number three. Number three
1: is a documentary I've been wanting to watch for a very long time. Well, at least 2 years because it came out in 2018. Um but I've never just got round to it. and then when Mike suggested this topic I was like, you know what? Let's watch it, see whether it could be there and it's now made my number 3. So how list. long ago did
0: you watch it from the day of recording today? Uh 2 days ago. Oh amazing.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's a really interesting story and i think even the plot synopsis so i can't say too much about it mm-hmm. because there's so many like um you said with mcmillions there's almost twists and turns and it's this is the one of the most unbelievable series of coincidences and that i've ever experienced when watching a documentary but it's all absolutely true so it's called three identical strangers
0: i've never heard
1: of it no it's quite a new one it won um uh uh, best No it didn't win I think it was nominated For an Oscar For an Oscar For the best documentary But I don't think it actually Won anything Same as the BAFTAs um, But It's basically about Three identical strangers So There's these three people Ed- Edward um, Galland David Kelman And Robert Safran So Bobby arrives at this College one day And everyone's going up to him It's like Oh you right, Eddie How was your summer I didn't think he's coming back This year And he's really confused It's like My name's not Eddie It's Bobby What are you on about Turns out he has a twin brother who went to that school, but he was adopted and he never knew about him. Um, Yeah. And he himself, so both of these people were adopted, so they didn't realize that they were twins. And it sort of becomes this big story about how these two people never met each other before. The suddenly hell? there they are. They're suddenly for a series of coincidences, They found out that they're twins. Someone's reading that story in the newspaper and recognizes the people as someone else they know. So Robert Saffron's the third person in this. He's also part of the twins. So they're actually triplets. What? And f- he learns about it through the newspaper. So they all meet up and they become... So they all adopted? All of, all three adopted. Did they know? You know because obviously
0: sometimes in, in you know, a situation of adoption, the the parents don't always tell the child they're adopted did all three of these know do you know that they were adopted before all of this
1: it's gone into quite a lot because that is one of the biggest parts of the documentary ah uh,
0: okay so i can't, they, can't spoil it i do i want to watch this but
1: I, well i'll say i'll say they didn't they didn't know none of the families knew that they were adopted they were twins or triplet, sorry.
0: But did they know that their parents were not their biological parents?
1: Yeah, yeah, they all knew that it was adopted. Okay,
0: yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. Because obviously that's like a double twist. Like, shit, I've got a twin. Shit. I know, yeah, that's could you imagine, I'm imagine that? that? Yeah. <laughs> I'm adopted. <laughs> um,
1: but yeah, it's just a series of. And it's really interesting and fascinating to learn about the whole sort of reason behind their adoption. and...
0: Can I just ask you yeah. something? As well, I love. Like, I did psychology at A level. And I failed horrendously. I'm still about my teacher, but probably me not paying attention. Um, but one of the things I did really love is the idea of like nature versus nurture. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, there were, I imagine, because of the way they were raised, be you know, lots of differences. But were there any eerie similarities at know, the beginning, be, other than the fact they look each, like each other?
1: Yeah, at the beginning, it's really noted that they all sort of have the same sort of personality, and there's a lot of links between them like um, it's not spoilers very early on it's like they were all wrestlers during high school um, they've all got very similar interest in women they all sort of sit exactly the same and they hold themselves exactly the same it's, it's really so quite weird, weird that but at the same time it's not i'm not going to dwell too much into it because like it's you one it that you, you need to watch because otherwise you wouldn't get the full effect of the whole documentary it's really well done so i think because these um triplets are used to sort of telling their stories so much they're like they're really quite interesting to listen to and the way that they tell their story they've obviously told it so many times that it's actually quite a fun story to listen to all of it but also yeah there's a lot more to it than just this there's three people that meet up and well who happen to sort of realize through a series of coincidental events that they're triplets there's a lot more to the story than that but it's definitely one worth watching. It's like it's a it. remarkable. The tagline is the most amazing, incredible, remarkable true story ever told, and it's one hundred percent true. That it it is one of the. It's unbelievable, almost, but it's incredible.
0: Well, I will take your three identical strangers and raise you the worst documentary name on here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> from maybe the best to the worst, because just from that title, someone's gonna go, "Yeah, I'll watch that. That sounds interesting." Whereas yeah. this one. I only started watching almost as a bit of a joke. Me and uh, Shauna were scrolling through Netflix on a Friday night once. We were trying to decide what to watch. I was in one of those moods where nothing was interesting. And then we saw some ridiculous things. She was like, oh, should we try that? And then, you know, when you leave it on Netflix and it just starts, you know, showing the sort of train. Oh, yeah,
1: automatically going. And then
0: we were like, actually, that doesn't sound, that's not quite interesting, bit weird. And that is My Octopus Teacher.
1: I've seen it, but skipped you... past it because it sounded
0: like nothing. Yeah, it sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? Um it's a real it, this one's a film, not a docuseries. Uh I don't know, probably about an hour and a half, hour and forty minutes, I feel like, top of my head.
1: I quite like that so far we seem to be linking with the series and then this was my film. That was about an hour and a half and you've got yeah, three Yeah,
0: we're doing well so far. <laughs> <laughs> um and like I say, I understand that a lot of people will not want to watch it based on the on the name and maybe even have to describe it, but I can only explain that it's the film that's given me the most emotional reaction and it's one of those films that it's quite it's gonna sound very pretentious but like it's quite a quiet film in just terms of like you just sort of soaking it in and, and i don't know like the, the longer the film goes on the more it gets drawn in okay um but if you've watched the films one you'll know that one of my favorite genres is coming of age and this is sort of feels like that but Maybe more of a midlife crisis type of way. Okay, but yeah. Essentially, it's about this um, guy called Craig Foster. Is it? Yeah, Craig Foster. And he's a um, South African filmmaker. And he's gone all around the world and, and filmed all these documentaries and essentially decided to give it up um and, and he found like the, the you know the deadlines you record something you've got to edit it together and send it to them was quite intense um and he finally he almost had suffered like depression from it because like one of the ones he did was he went to i think it was australia um, and did a documentary with the aboriginals who who's sort of so in tune with nature that they can hunt um from just like just like feeling the ground and things like that and he said it's like this weird thing where he was learning about such like a special culture and you know people who were so in touch with the world but he because he was behind the camera was just so removed from it all like he almost didn't feel part of it yeah and um, so it was almost this disconnect he was finding seeing these amazing things but because he was the filmmaker he was he was behind the camera and, and didn't feel involved in it so he moves back to his house in south africa which is on the on this beach this really this that cove that's really really rough water um and he just decided to start going out snorkeling each day and uh, one day he finds this octopus. And it does this amazing thing where uh, when it notices, when the filmmaker, when Craig Foster gets closer, it goes onto the, the sea floor and wraps 30 shells around itself. Yeah. Um, It starts like spinning around and he's like, well, what the hell is this? So he goes back at home after, this, after he's filmed it. And he's, he's Googling, he's researching, he's ringing experts. And no one's heard of this, an octopus doing this. No one knows what it's about. Um, and then he thinks about documentaries he makes, and he's like, you know, especially to do with, with the sea, like you will you film a shark for a day, maybe a week or so, uh, and that's it. Whereas he's decided to give himself uh, this thing where he's going to go to that same piece of water every day for a year and film every day, 365 days. He's just going to film a small body of water, you know, hopefully he's going to see the octopus every day. Um, but you wants to see sort of what's going on in that area, you know what I mean, in, in all, yeah. all seasons, everything. And that's what he does. Um and it's it's it looks beautiful as well because it's it's got it's called a sea forest where he's filming So it's got these sort of like uh, this these these sea like weeds that grow up from the sea floor so it's like he's moving through a forest at times uh, and he he basically this octopus becomes his almost friend um, ah. and essentially as he's filming it he, he sort of across this year he starts finding out more about the octopus but it sort of starts having an impact on on him and his life and his relationship with his son and his family. Um, and it's sort of what you can learn. Like I said, it's in seeing this octopus's um, life and the sharks around there, and it's, again, that sort of, that filmmaking thing, you know, do you get involved when an animal's being hunted? Because obviously you shouldn't, should you? You know, it's the whole point of being a filmmaker. become but its friend. Exactly, you know, and it's, I guess what he learned from it, which, again, sounds really cheesy, but it's, like I say, it's a really sort of quiet, moving film. Um, it, it's beautifully shot, it's interesting, um, you learn a lot about, you know, an octopus you learn a lot about this man's life i guess as you go almost in terms of like why he's become so disconnected and why this thing's having such a like profound impact on it yeah um, so yeah it's 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 a bit strange i guess and it's got a terrible name but it's one of the best things i've ever seen um and i'd, I'd recommend it to anyone
1: that actually sounds quite interesting and fascinating seeing how well just seeing life normally you'd be able to sort of follow it like this, but obviously mm-hmm. there was a nice little friendship that seemed to be yeah. formed between the octopus and the teacher. No, the teachers, the octopus, isn't it? Yeah. And you know uh, I mean? filmmaker.
0: You find out why by the end he finds out why it did that thing with the shells later okay. on. So he sort of like, you know, became an expert as well. He learned more than uh, sort of the marine biologists who spent lots of time learning about uh, an octopus as well. He learned things that they didn't know because like I say, most people who study studying an animal will study it for a short period of time and they'll go back, won't to lab. Whereas he went every single day. Didn't yeah. miss a single day, which is crazy.
1: That sounds interesting. I might have to get that on and watch.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: Might have to be one I watch without Lauren, due to her fear of water, though. Yeah, definitely. not water. Fear of the sea. She hasn't yeah. got a fear of water. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, a little bit. She doesn't like baths, does she? The first shout is.
1: Yeah, but that's not a fear of baths She just doesn't like sitting there. She finds feels like she can do other things with her life. Which
0: um, yeah. she's very wrong because baths are the best thing in the world. No, I agree. Right, moving into number two. Well, actually, I
1: before we go on to number two, yeah. I'd like to try something. Okay. So since we're on this documentary, docu-series episode, mm-hmm. do you remember back in episode one you came up with Digging Holes with Paul skulls? Yeah. Yeah. I thought we'd have a little quiz to see how well you get on trying to determine whether these are Alan Partridge quotes yeah. or real TV docu-series. <laughs> okay, I like this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Completely unplanned. You didn't know this was coming? No. Right. So I've got five here. Mm -hmm. How good... Do you like
0: Alan Partridge then? (laughs) I'll be honest, I'm not a massive fan. Oh, really? (laughs) No, but someone just... I think I've seen that clip or or someone told me about that clip and it made me laugh. Yeah.
1: So, yeah, I'll um, I'll read you out five and you've got to tell me whether they're Alan Partridge TV pictures or genuine TV shows. Okay. Okay. So number one, touch the truck. With Dale Winton. Yes, <laughs>
0: it's surely Partridge, surely.
1: Nope, that was a real show on Channel 5 where people. It was a reality <laughs> docuseries in which they filmed people touching a truck and the last person to stop touching the truck won the truck.
0: Jesus Christ. Yeah. Dale Winton, what an absolute wrong in that. Was. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Dogs on Death Row with Professor Green. True. Yeah, that was a BBC <laughs> free documentary. I, f- I feel
0: like I remember hearing about this, but still weird as shit. But <laughs> <laughs> well, it's sort
1: of it's a it's a bit interesting, isn't it? It's ones yeah. that are waiting to die on Battersea Sea Home, sort of being put down. It's a bit it's a bit sadder than the name suggests. Really, sounds a bit yeah. comical. Um, arm wrestling with Chaz and Dave. Partridge. That was a partridge. <laughs> Apparently, they, they they were really keen for that when it got turned down. <laughs> Penguin A&E with Lorraine Kelly. I
0: mean, that sounds like something she...
1: It is something that she did. <laughs> okay. And then the final one, Youth Hostelling with Chris Eubank.
0: I really hope that's part. It's
1: kind of both. Really? So, yeah, it was 100% Partridge. And then in 2015, I've since learnt when genuinely creating this little quiz for you, he created a pilot of Chris uh, Youth Hostelling with Chris Eubank, and you can find it on YouTube.
0: Amazing. Wait, who Chris Eubank did, or...? Yeah.
1: Chris Eubank did this pilot, pilot yeah,
0: amazing. Just with his incredibly posh voice, I don't know. (laughs) Is it a posh voice? Well, Chris Chris Eubank. I can't do a Chris Eubank. (laughs) I think is a posh voice, isn't it? I don't know,
1: but yeah. So there you go. I thought I'd just do
0: that little quiz for you, a bit of fun in between before we go on to our number two. I like that. And now, now I'm excited to see if your number two is sounds as weird as those real and Partridge (laughs) documentaries. I've got to get back to my list now to find out
1: what my number two actually was. It doesn't. I can tell you that. And it's the only one that I'm concerned and it might be a crossover on.
0: Well, this is my last Netflix one. Uh, my number two is. So, actually, it'd be perfect if it does crossover.
1: Yeah. So, it was a series that most people were obsessed with during lockdown.
0: Yeah, it's the same series. Love it. Is it? There we yeah, go. That makes, I love that's that it's brilliant. matched up at the right number as well.
1: Oh, perfect. Uh, so... Well, sh- should I say what well, it is just in case it is, or should I try and introduce it like I was going to? Should
0: we say it at the same time on three?
1: <laughs> I really hope it's a different one now.
0: Okay, on three. One, two, three. The Last, last Dance. The Last Dance. Yes!
1: There we go. So me and Mike weren't really into basketball in the slightest before watching this, as well. I don't think most people in the UK were at all. And it's just a really fascinating documentary, isn't it? It's about the career of Michael Jordan. It sort of tried to build as the last season of Chicago Bulls. But really, it just it's mainly about Michael Jordan. There's a few sort of spotlights on like Scottie Pippen, Dennis Rodman, Steve Kerr, Phil Jackson, isn't there? But really, he's the main person that the whole documentary is about.
0: Yeah, and I just say to that, I think that's a criticism um, with like real basketball fans, particularly maybe Chicago Bull fans that, it, yeah, it's, it's made to be, oh, it's all about the Chicago Bulls in the 90s, their team, their dynasty, as they call them, which is a really successful team. But actually, it's basically a Michael Jordan documentary. But I don't know. I only really knew Michael Jordan, so I didn't care. Yeah. Like I was fine with it. <laughs>
1: I knew Dennis Rodman is a bit of a weird guy, but yeah, I'm the same. I didn't really know that much about basketball, really, as I have talked about previously with Space Jam. He's the one that was famous in most people in the UK. But yeah, so it's just a really interesting documentary. So, like I said, it it's built to sort of talk you talk about the last dance, so Chicago Bulls' last ever sort of seat well it's not chicago Bulls. well the last team. time this team are going to be going because the owner i can't remember what his name
0: jerry is something. jerry jerry reisendorf <laughs> i feel like you've just made that name, what <laughs> name? i'm pretty um, sure that's right oh no you're right i've just looked up it is jerry reisendorf boom and swish
1: um because he's planning on re what's the words i'm not very good at words lately sort of um Rebuilding any of the, the younger teams. Yeah, rebuild re- re- rebuilding the franchise, that's the word I was looking for, franchise. So he wanted to try and rebuild the franchise and make it fresh compared to keeping the same players that we've seen for the past well, how many seasons was it? It was quite a few seasons, wasn't it? Yeah. Um so I think it's their sixth no.
0: So what it is, is they're, they're trying to do something called a 3 P. That's So it. this is yeah. the final season of this team. So they'd won three NBA championships in a row. Then Michael Jordan famously uh, retired and tried baseball for a year and then came back. So there was two years after they'd won their three in a row where they didn't win it. Then they won two back-to-back again. And then this documentary is called Their Last Dance, The Last Dance where the whole team and the coach should be together. So it's seen if they can win what they call a three-peat, which is repeating winning the championship three times in a row. Yeah, um, yeah there you go. So there's the...
1: There's the synopsis. Synopsis of... For someone who was a little bit more
0: prepared than me. <laughs> well, it's <laughs> no, not that. It's it, just I've watched it three times already. Have you actually? Genuinely, yeah.
1: No, you've done the three-peat?
0: Yeah. Well, no. <laughs> That'd be... No, if I do it three more times next year, it'd be a three-peat, wouldn't it? That's just three. It won't be repeated. I'm with you. Yeah. But with this as well, like, just to add on to what you said, Mike, as well, I, I'm not a, a wizard before this, a basketball fan. You weren't either. Um, but it is, again, the way I think it's told is so gripping and. The fact that although it's a basketball documentary and they do obviously show lots of clips, it almost doesn't feel like it's about basketball. I don't know if you can put that in Twitter if you felt the same way, but like it doesn't feel like a basketball documentary even though it's all about basketball pretty
1: much. No, I think we talked I think it was you who said this previously. It's like if this was done on any other sports that you had no idea about, you'd still enjoy it. Yeah. Because it didn't necessarily you didn't need to know about basketball or anything like that to enjoy what it was about. It didn't exclude you in that way.
0: I think as well, there's something about learning about someone who's that good at something, like whether that be uh, you know a pianist, an athlete, a writer, a painter, uh, a singer, a rapper, whatever. I think when you see someone who's so clearly better than everyone else and that's not me saying it from a sort of biased point of view you look at like people like Larry Bird and Magic Johnson people who were the greatest a little bit before Michael Jordan and a little bit whilst Michael Jordan was coming up who are like no yeah he's a lot better than me. so yeah. all these world-class athletes who are, you know some of the best basketballers ever never mind just when he was playing were all like yeah he's better than like by a yeah. lot yeah, uh, there's something amazing watching su- such an elite sportsman, their man, their mentality, and things like that.
1: No, it was a, it was. I'm sure most people listening to this have watched this documentary because it definitely, it was a big binge. This and Tiger King throughout lockdown, but yeah, it was. It definitely got me interested in basketball. I really, mm. I've gone and watched a few games. Well, on TV, I've watched a few games. Should I say? Yeah, we picked and, a team, haven't we? Yeah, we we did pick a team. We've sort of dropped out of that a bit. I have been following them. They've not been doing very well this season. No,
0: no, I've seen
1: them. <laughs> we've, I think we've won about one game so far. When I
0: Googled, it was like, defensive issues still remain. I was like, yeah, that was the problem we watched them, wasn't it? That was what the issue It's
1: the New Orleans Pelicans, by the way, for those wondering who we decided to follow.
0: And your favourite yeah. player, Zion Williams?
1: Yeah, by far. And then I was going to get a Zion Williams shirt, and then you stole it. Yep. Well, I... I... <laughs>
0: I didn't want his jersey or shirt, whatever. No, you it was didn't. But it's the only one that they had available at the time. Yeah,
1: because they're not really a big team over here. Well, they're not a big team full stop, to be honest with you. Not in comparison they're to def- others, yeah. No, not- they're quite a low down league ranking, which is why we picked them. Because we didn't want to be looking as though it was going to glory hunt for a basketball team.
0: Can I say as well, with the last dance, to link to what I said about the Imagineering, I, I think again, like I said, all my link. I think it's because of the storytelling. So the Imagineering worked for me. As someone who's not a fan of a big, well, not a massive fan of Disney per se, and definitely not a massive fan of um, theme park, was that it went in chronological order from the very beginning, looked at maybe like a 10-year period, and it kept moving. That was interesting to me to see how it developed. Um, that's what hooked me, I think, a lot of it was, was I wanted to see, okay, well, then what happened in the next decade? How, how did it change? Whereas yeah. this one's order, which again, I think is the reason that made it so compelling, was you had... We're looking at the very final season that this Chicago Bulls team was together. And you're also hooked. You're like, okay, are they going to win the 3 P? Like, I didn't know and didn't Google it purposefully. No. Nice. Um, and maybe it was common knowledge. I don't know. But if, to me, it wasn't. And I purposely didn't Google it because I wanted to keep that surprise. And alongside that, although that's the running theme for every episode, and you, I think it's 10 episodes, the first episode is the start of the season, the 10th episode is the end of the season, so each episode sort of progresses the season, but there's loads of almost flashbacks, isn't there, where they go back to like, the very first championship they won together. Um, and within that, you might look at Michael Jordan's youth and then the second championship they won together. And you look at Scottie Pippen's sort of childhood and how he became professional. Yeah. Um, and I thought that was interesting. You had, like I said, there there's almost two, almost three timelines that were running. You had the, throughout the series, this final championship, and then you had the flashback to the other five, well, not five, it was the other, it even included the seasons where Michael Jordan retired. Um, yeah. The first season he came back and they didn't win it
1: yeah no it was I really enjoyed it. didn't think I'd enjoy it it was you who recommended it to me, mm. but yeah, absolutely, even Lauren, who's not interested in any sports whatsoever, really enjoyed it I it was It was well, surprising, really. I
0: think more that she was attracted to half the team than it was that she was <laughs> <laughs> quite possibly yeah. I'll, I'll ask her that <laughs> um but yeah, so i'm like I like that ours came up at the same time there actually, yeah.
1: That makes it a lot easier to try and work out,
0: uh, and leads us into our honourable mention.
1: Yes. So my honourable mention is just a big up to David Attenborough. That's all I think needs to be said. What just all of David Attenborough? All of David yeah, Attenborough. I'll be great honest. Shout. Um, what was his first big one that he did? It's going to bug me now. Life on Earth. Yeah. That was ruined for me by university. So. In my first year at university, I did a, um ecology uh, degree. Well, not degree, but module. Yeah. Uh, it was part of the biology, sort of, part of it. Except this our lecturer didn't teach us a single thing. Every single lecture, she just put on a different episode of Life on Earth and made us fill out a crib sheet answering questions about part, random parts of the episode. You
0: say, you say that was at university?
1: At university. So you paid and then three grand it, a
0: year for that shit? Yeah.
1: We actually put in a complaint at the end of the year because the exam came and we didn't actually know anything that was on the exam because we didn't get taught any of it. It was just sitting down watching what Life they, on Earth.
0: Did they do? Did they like? Did they do anything to mark as a result?
1: Yeah, they they upped everything because of it, which is good, but it's, it was still absolutely ridiculous. Oh yeah,
0: crazy. Like you say, the money you have to, to pay for as well. Yeah. Know, so because of
1: that, I sort of despised the series for a bit because I was like because it was associated with bad memories yeah. but at the end of the day, planet Earth blue planet like he's a fantastic documentary maker
0: do you have a favorite documentary he did? I've got my favorite documentary or docu series and my favorite episode oh really yeah. um I'd
1: say planet Earth was my favorite one or two. documentary he did uh one yeah, but I haven't got a favorite episode necessarily your son
0: was uh the episode was on the Great Salmon. It was a 45-minute okay. episode which just looked at how salmons are born, you know, go out into the sea. Oh, yes, I remember this, yeah. And then they have I to go this, back yeah. to their, you know, where they were born. And it's like the the difficulties of their life. Like, you know, if you, Like when they're in the open sea, obviously everything's trying to fucking hunt them and kill them. But then even yeah. going back, you have to mean, like, sometimes, uh, you know, some summers because of the heat, uh, they can't get up the, the riverbed anymore. And they just sort of like drowned. Oh, then obviously they've got the bears. Then obviously it's just a physical strain. Because the fact of, you know, it's amazing. From the fact that they can jump out of the water so high to like go back up the river. It was just absolutely amazing. What's it called? Nature's Great Events, I think.
1: Is that it? I definitely remember that episode on something I've watched.
0: Uh, yeah, Nature's Great Events. And yeah, the salmon episode. Unbelievable. Yeah. And what an absolute god, David Ambrose.
1: Yeah, like let's be honest, his brother's a bit better. Richard Amber. he did a documentary about dinosaurs, but anyone ask yeah, so...
0: I'm pretty sure as well there's a third Attenborough brother. And I don't know if I've made this there, up in my head. There,
1: there is. I there feel is. like he's, he's a mechanic as well or something. Yeah, he <laughs> ma- motor racing or something like that.
0: It's like, he must feel like such a failure in comparison to two other brothers. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, the, I'd like to make two other things. So, David Attenborough, Life on Our Planet on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Great little... Um, it's his witness statement, he calls it. So, it's very very well done talking about like the carbon footprint of the planet and stuff like that. And... Is it a
0: bit depressing as a result? I've not watched if that very Yes, reason. it yeah, is. Yeah.
1: But it's still like it's eye-opening. Well, I think it's as well sometimes that's the thing watching. with
0: documentaries is they're difficult to watch because of subject matter. But it's important isn't it that the very least we can do is is be informed. Yeah. You know, I don't mean we have to go out and completely change our lives, but at least you know, just little things will help Well,
1: yeah, exactly. Um the other thing I'd like to do is See whether anyone listening to this podcast knows the name of this documentary, or even you, Mike, because it's really bugging me. And I wanted to include it on my um, honourable mentions previously, but I couldn't remember the name of it. So it's about a documentary filmmaker. He's quite famous for doing these sort of documentaries as well. But the concept of it he's, is he's been shrunk down, like Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. And then he's gone out like into the garden, like shrunk down to film the documentary on, like, all the uh, bugs and stuff out there. And, and he's sort I of, like... they're taking the
0: piss, or what? No,
1: genuinely. Like, there's bits <laughs> where he'll, like, fight with an ant because an ant's attacking him. It's CGI'd, obviously. But it's still... It's done in a documentary style, and it's quite interesting. You learn about the, the sort of the micro world, and I feel like micro's in the title. But it's still quite interesting, and it's a bit—it's a bit of a fun way of doing it. I remember what well, it was like—late nineties, early two thousands.
0: If you—if you do know that listeners, if you can at us on Twitter, Mammon Podcast, or Facebook us at Mammon Podcast, or email in to mammonpodcast at hotmail dot com, and let us know if Mark's full of shit and this thing doesn't exist. <laughs> definitely,
1: <laughs> definitely a thing. I'm gonna once I find out. Yeah. No, don't Google show, it. No, I'll, no, I'll no. You, well, let's, no, I tried googling it. I let's let our it. listeners do the work. <laughs> so, yeah, you do. We we talk to you for an hour. Now you do some work. Do, anyway. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, my honourable mention. I tried to limit it to one of the few I want to pick, but I'm going to go with some. Well, in fact, I'm going to say two. No, no, no I'm not going to say one. Uh, it's it won the Oscar. It's on Disney Plus, and that is Free Solo. Um,
1: the rock climbing one.
0: Yep, yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah, it's about Never a guy that. called uh, Alex Honnold, I think his name is, something like that. And essentially he wants to climb up this uh, quite difficult mountain in America um, without any safety equipment. Okay. And it's regarded as a particularly difficult climb, even with safety equipment. Um and it's one of the most intense things I've ever seen. Like I'm not particularly great with heights anyway, so my palms were just absolutely pissed and sweat by the end of it because <laughs> I was so nervous. Um, but yeah, I think again, it's seeing like a, a strange character, a bit like almost like Michael Jordan. Like he's obviously at the top of his game. You know have to I mean in terms of. You know, being a a free climber, there's probably not many in the world better than him. You know, he's accomplished something amazing. But it's yeah. about having these people who have these like absolute drives, and and just don't let people who tell them things are impossible affect them. Um, and like I said, I think I think seeing this guy who's a bit of a, a bit of an oddball in some aspects, but I think you've got to be to to be that dedicated oh, and focused. Definitely, you know, it's just his life. He just dedicated his life to to his craft, and yeah, watching it and watching him build up to it like for instance he practices obviously before he doesn't just do it he he practices it a lot with safety equipment but there's certain parts of the climb that are difficult and about a week before month before something like that he keeps like falling off this certain section he has to transition between and I'm like what the fuck? Like, how the hell is he going to do this? So, watching it is just. Uh, you know, no spoilers. Is he alive? Is he dead? Who knows? You'll have to watch. It's on Disney Plus.
1: <laughs> but, watching it. I'm guessing I'd, alive, otherwise, it'll be a snuff film.
0: you have to see, me. Gotta <laughs> <laughs> watch it. But yeah, that's Maybe my right. that's my honorable mention. Free Solo, a uh, about a film about a guy who does rock climbing that safety equipment. Short, it's a shortish film. I feel like is it an hour, two hours, hour and a half? yeah, about an hour and a half, I reckon. Um, but yeah, that is my honorable mention. So, Mike Wellington, what is your number one choice?
1: My number one choice is a very very odd choice, but it was it's such a fun documentary to watch. And what's even weirder about it is I haven't watched all the episodes yet. Ooh. It's The Toys That Made Us.
0: I thought you'd them on, yeah.
1: Yeah. It's billed originally in the theme tune, because it's got a really corny theme tune to it, as an eight-part documentary series. But actually, due to the success of it, they did a season three, which was another four episodes. So there's actually 12 episodes so far. And they've done a spin-off series called The Movies That Made Us and The Christmas Movies That Made Us. But what it is, is it's essentially just focusing on different toy lines and... Um, that all of us grew up at least with at least one of these so the reason I haven't watched them all is because some of the episodes I didn't grow up with them but because I enjoy the documentary I do plan on watching them at some point soon so I'll give you a list of the toys that it goes through so it goes through Star Wars, Barbie, He-Man, G.I. Joe, Star Trek, Transformers, Lego, Hello Kitty, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Power Rangers, My Little Pony and Professional Wrestling and to be honest the only two I haven't watched are Hello Kitty and My Little Pony (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's just really interesting so I'll give you like a rundown of the Star Wars one and um, another one potentially so the Star Wars one it starts off uh, Luke, George Lucas he, he obviously with Star Wars you want to get a toy line going because toys make money at the end of the day for kids but because he was so secretive over the ship's designs and all that sort of stuff he held up um, sort of sharing any secrets to anyone so all the big lines like Hasbro, Mattel they sort of passed on it so this toy company called Kenner that I imagine most people haven't heard of was the toy wow. line that side yeah, that was the toy line that decided to actually pick it up. And it was apparently billed the worst um deal in history by George Lucas because he got very, very little money from the toy selling. And this is a toy franchise that's um totaled seventeen billion dollars so far in terms what of toy sales. Yeah. So it meant that so they so what uh Kenner had to do is they had to produce these toys every year and if they stopped selling for a year then they would um the rights would go back to George Lucas and they'd have to renegotiate a deal unfortunately uh Kenner was brought out by Hasbro in 2000 and Hasbro didn't realize this and stopped selling toys uh, Star Wars toys for one year and George Lucas was then able to re- renegotiate a deal and get a better offer for himself but it's still really interesting seeing the history of all these toys and just seeing how things change so much and all the sort of uh, tv shows that sort of have to go into sort of trying to sell a toy like tv shows were created to sell toys and stuff like that back in the days Yeah. but it's just a really fascinating one the other one that really sort of i remember quite distinctly was uh teenage mutant ninja turtles in which the two creators kevin eastman and peter Led, they actually stopped talking to each other due to creative reasons and um one of them i can't remember which one decided to leave anything to do with um teenage unit uh teenage mutant ninja turtles and go on to other stuff because he didn't like the direction that it was going. But what was nice about this is at the end of the the episode, um, they'd sort of uh they brought the two those two people back together and it just ends with them just drawing comics again. And it's really quite nice that it sort of reunited these two people that sort of had a bit of a feud.
0: Yeah, it's lovely.
1: Yeah, but it's it's done in a really quite amusing way. It's got um all sorts of guests and people talking about everything on it. It's really interesting. It doesn't feel like it should be interesting, just talking about toys, but actually, it's a really, really interesting documentary on Netflix.
0: Well, I remember having Star Wars toys. I remember my cousin giving them to, and they were they'd one of them who collect. You know, it was a collector who was older than me, so they're yeah. still in their box and things like that. Oh, okay, um, and you had came with some sort of reader and things like that, I seem to remember. But essentially, anyway, was like, you know, I don't think they're going to be worth, though. I'm never going to play with them, do you want? I was like, yeah, cool. Ripped them all straight out of the boxes, played with them. then about a year, two years later, he rang me and said, oh, there's a couple of them that are worth quite a bit of money now. <laughs> they still in their box. I was like, no, I'm so no. sorry. <laughs>
1: yeah. But yeah, it's interesting seeing the people collecting them and stuff like this and, um, yeah, just the legacy that, because, like I said, like you said, like you, you had that Star Wars toys when you grew up. I'm sure all of these Lego toys, for example, like almost everyone listening would have had some Lego toys at some point. And it's really interesting seeing the Lego's history because they actually refused to have any violence or anything like that in their toys to begin with. So, like spaceships or anything with weapons, they weren't. They didn't. They refused to make them. Because they're about education and they wanted to be about the educational tool and design. I like
0: that. I, well, do you know what? I am I might watch the Star Wars one. I think it'd be yeah, odd sl- that maybe I'll pick and choose the things that relate to me, like you. Like oh, exactly. Me, That's exactly
1: too. what I did. I picked and choose the ones that I wasn't interested in. But actually, I think, as you'll find, I have, you, because the documentary is so well done with its. The host is quite interesting. He, he's got a very distinct sort of narrating style and he's quite funny with it mm. but i sort of wouldn't mind going back to him even though i don't know anything about my little pony yeah. or hello kitty I like
0: that. Yeah. Good choice. It's, an,
1: it's an odd choice i will agree but it's one that it's our personal top fives
0: exactly um my number one then couldn't be more different to yours which is quite uh lovely and almost feel-good tv it sounds like <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Um, mine is incredibly sad, um, incredibly tense um, and excited as well. I picked mine because it feels like Ocean's Eleven meets the Blackfish documentary. Okay. And I think because Blackfish has become so popular uh, as a documentary, I think that's on Netflix now. If you liked Blackfish, this film makes Blackfish look like a piece of shit. In terms of it. It's so good. It's called The Cove. Um, Never heard of it. I've, seriously...
1: Never heard of it. Uh,
0: I looked up. Uh, it's not on like Netflix or. Oops, sorry, yeah, it's one of those. It's not. It's not on. I checked. It's not on Netflix or Amazon or Disney or anything like that. So you either. You two ways of watching it is you can buy it from things like Amazon for like two fifty. You know, a, a digital copy. Or yeah. I checked the the film is on YouTube. The whole film, so you can watch it on YouTube for free. The quality's not great, but it is. Um, okay. It's amazing because like I say it's essentially. Um, these documentary makers decide to interview the trainer from um, who trained Flipper for the TV show Flipper. Um,
1: okay, yeah, I didn't know there was a TV show of it.
0: Yeah, I didn't even until I watched it. But yeah, that was originally what it was. And he goes to see him. He, and the, the man's out in Japan, so he goes out to see him. And he's he's really, they think he's a bit nuts because he's like, I'm being followed by the Japanese government. Uh, da, 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 da. So yeah. they go to meet him and essentially talks about how he spent something like 15 years of his life creating Industry, and he's now like dedicating the rest of his life to, to destroying it. So, essentially, he talks through how he originally they want to make this big flipper, and he was uh, some sort of animal expert who could train them. And they, they went out and they found these bottlenose dolphins. He he picked a couple and then trained this as dolphin flipper. And you know, had, he had this house at the end of a lake. And in this lake is where the sort of dolphin who played flipper when they did a lot of the filming. And obviously, he, he got in a really strong sort of relationship with them because flipper became so popular. Things like sea Became popular where you could go visit them and they'd do tricks and the trainers would train them through certain things. But dolphins unlike humans; every breath they take is a choice, so they can kill themselves. They can choose to stop breathing. That's exactly what the dolphin did one day. It just it swam into his heart and just stopped breathing. Bloody yeah. uh, And you know you look at these these dolphins swim like hundred miles a day, whatever, uh, and they're stuck in these tiny little tanks. And what, the things I don't tell you to see: well, first they used to these uh, dolphins, and whales used to kill themselves, and they used to go insane. They used to back their heads against the glass. Um, because the noise of the filters was so loud it was like deafening to them and then the fish they feed them have loads and loads of like antibiotics because uh, of all the ulcers in their mouth because they're so stressed um, and, they, and they, you know they live in pods they're meant to be like families they're meant to be big units who swim together and often they're isolated and so essentially he, he went round he started trying to free them and steal them from place in America to, to get them out um, but one of the things that he's, he's most concerned about is there's this cove in Japan where every year they do this drive, where they get hundreds, thousands of dolphins. So they essentially get loads of boats with big sticks that they can hit on the sea floor. It creates this almost like sonar wave that draws them into the cove. And he says that they, the, the Japanese government are killing them. And not only are they killing them, they're selling or giving some of the, the dolphin meat to um, school children. And because dolphins' meat has such high mercury levels, it's, it poisons them. Yeah. Uh, so they're not telling them that that's what it is. They're just saying it's normal fish. And obviously Japan are den- you know denying this. The government people they ask for interviews, and he's like, we can prove it, but they've got all these securities in place, you know, so you can't film it, so you can't get proof. Yeah. So they cr- they get like an Ocean's Eleven team together. So they get like this security expert who used to be in like the SAS. They get uh, these two this couple who are free divers because uh, to, they want to go under at night and plant some cameras for the morning so they can film it underneath the water. But if they had tanks and stuff like that, they've got like, I don't know, like sensors so they'll be able to hear. You know, if there's like a boat in the water or if there's breathing equipment, so they just use these free divers to go down. Uh, they get these documentary makers. They get these engineers who I feel like may have worked on films as well. So they're like props to make these sort of rocks they want to plant around the cove as well oh, yeah. so that they can do it. So they want to create this idea with it, so they can film it and prove to the world that, that, what they're... Not obviously all of Japan, but a lot of these, they, this little sort of Japanese town and the government are doing because they always see dolphins like, like vermin, some of them like rats. Like um, I guess because obviously fishing is a huge industry in Japan, isn't it? It's a huge food source. Oh, wild. absolutely, obviously yeah. Obviously, you know, dolphins are competing with the fishermen, aren't they? Um, but yeah, so it's amazing having the this this group of people try and create this, um to get this proof and then what they want to try and do with the proof to try and create change. Because essentially there's this act where you it's illegal to hunt whales. And dolphins are technically just small whales, but they're not on this um this United Nations act under the same as, as whales, so it's technically not illegal to hunt and kill them. Uh, so they obviously want to try and get that as well. So yes, it's one of the best documentaries well not one of it's the best. It's my it's my number one of the top five it's the best documentary <laughs> it's I've ever say. seen, and like I say, it really does film feel like this this like a film. Like I say, it's almost like a thriller. Um,
1: well, it's... I've just read here, Time Magazine described it as putting Hollywood capers like Mission Impossible to shame, and Peter Raynor of Christian Science Monitor called it a rousing piece of real world thriller filmmaking. Would you agree with them?
0: Yeah, 100%. Um, it does not sound even gonna, quite interesting. I'm not even going to talk about the second one. No, know. <laughs>
1: well, New York Times said it's um, an exceptionally well-made documentary that unfolds like a spy thriller. So I think, yeah, what you're saying about it all... Will- Everyone's agreeing, and it sounds really quite interesting, actually. Yeah, it, I think
0: it won the twenty ten. Let me have a look. Yeah, it won the, yeah, it won the Oscar. Uh, Oscar. Yeah, for best documentary. Um, which I'm is how I found it. it. That's what I do every year. So I just Google, you know, the winners of each. All the categories you are interested in, trying to read. Them. I think the same as I think Free Solo won as well, which is why I, I watched it or was nominated. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I say, I can't rec- and as well, I've made quite a lot of, at the time when I watched it, I was very passionate, and I, I still am to a degree, but you, you know, you're always more passionate about an issue after you've you've learned about it, and yeah. I made all my family watch it as well, because it's one of those like, like I say, I've not got a huge desire to go to America, to, to, go, to well, I've liked to go to America, but I've not got a huge desire to go to like the Disney World and, and SeaWorld and things like that, um, but if I'd been given the opportunity before then, do you want to go to you know SeaWorld? swim with some, some dolphins. I mean like, yeah, it sounds awesome. But now that I've seen that and, and like I say how it's almost torture what they're doing to these animals and obviously Blackfish looks at that as well with the whale. Absolutely. I'm like, I'd never do that now. And I don't th- that's not a criticism of anyone who has done that. Like my brother in law, he's done there he he's been there and what and swam with dolphins when he was younger before he'd seen this documentary and obviously he's I feel awful now. I was like, Well you weren't to know. Like we none of us would to know really about I think when you stop and think about it, it's almost common sense. Yeah, this is, you know bad what they're doing to them, but because yeah. they, they brand it, that they're they're happy and that they enjoy themselves, you sort of forget, don't you? Um, and like I say, one of the worst, you know, Dolphins almost always look like they're smiling, don't they, they're where their, their faces are as well. But so I guess you just I don't know, you're blind to these things, aren't you? I think sometimes as humans we, we want to avoid these you know, knowing about that idea of ignorance is bliss, isn't it? But
1: I was literally about to say those words, yeah.
0: But you know, the, the problem is the more people watch it, the more people talk about it, the more people refuse to go to those places. So that's thinking you know, if you go to America now don't just don't go. Don't give them money because if they don't have money, they won't they'll stop doing it. Which is sort yeah, exactly. of starting to happen already. They've had so much bad press and they're losing so much money, uh, that they're s think they're starting to start buying more dolls in way of feel like. It may be not that they've made official we refuse you know, we'll never do it again, but They've definitely bought a lot less in the last ten years, or so because there's a lot less people going, so they don't need as you know many. Yeah. So it shows it's working. The more educated. No, tr- we are. That
1: that's one I'm definitely interested in going and watching.
0: It, it, like I say, it's, I,
1: I'm surprised I heard of it.
0: I, I would say, or arguably, if I if I sat and thought about it, you know, it was so good as a film. It, you have to mean the way it was filmed, the way the story almost goes. That's what it feels like. Mm-hmm. I could argue it might even it should have even potentially gone in my top five films generally. That's
1: fair. That's fair. Oh, fantastic list!
0: Yeah, it's good on that. I uh, yeah. I really enjoyed doing it. Uh, again, it's one that I have I really. I, I, like I said, I, I get an absolute buzz when you talk about like people at your work or or friends or family who like mention things to you. Like, oh, they they said that they've. Um, like I think you said one of your, uh, your friends, your your boss or something, started watching Scrubs after us talking about it.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, Senior's decided that he wants to watch Scrubs based on. What's his what name again? Saying.
0: Another friend of the show.
1: <laughs> Scott.
0: Scott. Shout out, Scott. Um,. Yeah, so I'd love to hear people um, tweet us at Mammon Podcast, Facebook at Mammon Podcast, or email us at mammonpodcasts at hotmail dot com. i think say I'd love to hear people, you know, let us know if you did watch them or play them, and 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 what you thought afterwards. Would be amazing because I think that's what's like great is about documentaries, and films, and books, and things like that. Like, connect people, don't they? You can have those conversations about it. It gives you something in common. Yeah, definitely. So say it's why I've always been about football. You know, to me, if you find someone who likes football, you know, you've automatically got a huge topic of things you can talk about. Same with stuff like this.
1: Yeah, yeah absolutely.
0: Right. right. Uh, next week, then. Uh, well,
1: next week, love is in the air because it's Valentine's Day.
0: And that means we're going for top five rom-coms. And growing up with yeah. all the sister means I've got a hell of a lot to pick from. I love a rom-com, by the way. Absolutely no shame. Oh, yeah. No.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely love them.
0: And what other big national holidays can we tie in? There's Earth Day coming up, isn't there? I feel like. What can we do for that? Top
1: five. Planet. I was Boom. about to say planets.
0: No, I think that'd be dreadful. <laughs> uh, hold on, I'm looking at my phone.
1: St. Patrick's Day? Uh, top five drinks. Ooh. We've actually been requested for top five drinks. Have we? It feels a
0: little bit racist yeah. on St. Patrick's Day. It but does. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh yeah all right let's do it. and ooh April Fools day could we do something with, like top best pranks on tv and film or something
1: yeah like hidden camera shows or like skits from that sort of thing yeah
0: that could be something
1: something to look into right. i think i don't know what the topic would how to word the topic but i'm sure i've got an idea of the sort of things that i'm thinking
0: the things you're thinking
1: yeah but i can't really say because i've got ideas of ones that would be in my top 5 but if i say them to you then You'll know what my top five are.
0: All right, we'll leave it there then for now. <laughs> Great <laughs> so way don't to end spoil it. it. Uh, I'm desperate for a slash. And I'm gonna have to go soon. That's... And on that note, <laughs> join us next we week for again <laughs> increased professionalism. That is, Ma'am on Podcast. Mike and Michael. Mike. Bye. Bye. Bye all. Right, I'm genuinely desperate for a piss, so I'm gonna to have to see. So I'm stopping recording.